0: Hello and welcome to Tipsy Tolstoy Russian Literature for the Inebriated.
1: I'm Matt Garasimovich, a PhD student in Russian Lit.
0: And I'm Cameron Lalana.
1: This is a podcast where me and my good pal Cameron get to unwind from our week with some Russian literature and a drink or two. This week, we are really excited to be joined by Jose Vergara. Jose is an assistant professor of Russian on the Myra T. Cooley Lectureship at Bryn Mawr College's Department of Russian. His first book, which he will be talking about a little bit today, All Future Plunges to the Past, James Joyce in Russian Literature, was released in October 2021 through the Northern Illinois University Press imprint of Cornell University Press. A lot of presses. Um... The book explores how Russian writers from the mid-1920s to the present day have read literally and figuratively Joyce's fiction and how they then creatively responded to it. Jose, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. So we got two two things to talk about. We have Envy by Yuri Alisha, and then we have your book, which talks about Joyce and Alisha and Joyce and a lot of things actually. So it's gonna be a good <laughs> a good talk.
0: Because we've got Dr. Vergara here, we'll push off our usual spiel about Patreon off to the end of the episode. But we did want to extend a quick thank you to our most recent patron, Maya. But before we get into the reading, uh, Matt, Jose, what are you both drinking today?
2: Uh, So I wanted to, given the the subject matter today with with Joyce, I wanted to have some Jameson on hand, but it just didn't work out that way. Uh, (laughs) So instead, I am representing uh, Philadelphia with some yards, uh, loyal lager i don't i don't really i don't know it's it's a beer um it's pretty good but it's philly based and uh depending on how things go i I also had a little tequila on hand so (laughs) love
0: that we'll see what happens that is the perfect combination but thank you that
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad that my cursory google search and by google search i typed what was joyce's favorite drink into google and i did the first one and i saw jameson and i was like bang so i put some jameson in my in my decaf coffee um (laughs) perfect and it's gonna be a show so i'm glad that that was confirmed by an expert
2: yeah unfortunately i just didn't manage to, to to pick some up in time but
1: it's all right you've got you've got good backups what do you have cameron
0: uh, so I have, and I, I will not lie, because I've been roasted by my father about my alcohol choices in the last couple of episodes. Uh, he says they're, they're too pedestrian, so I went out to finally get a, a, a craft beer. So I have here, uh, by Dust Bowl Brewing Company, which last came on with a, I think it was a porter or a stout, uh, taco truck lager, okay. which, it's, it's it's not summer yet, but it's already like 95 degrees out here, because I live in hell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so i thought a lager might might cool me down and also um central valley is known for its for its food trucks so representing the hottest part of california probably not the hottest part but i don't care about southern california anyway (laughs) it looks fun it is fun i'm ready i'm ready to it's extremely hot as i mentioned so i'm ready to probably keep drinking these until i'm cool so we're gonna see how that turns out for the episode so i'm glad (laughs) we're all really primed for getting a little smashed by the end of this
2: (laughs) i'm curious how you're you said your father, right? Your dad, he roasted you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, how did he roast
0: you? Uh, he said, "He said, Cameron, I'm a little disappointed in your drink choices. It's just been it's been liquor and all these other uninteresting drinks. I thought I raised you better to have more interesting beers.
2: <laughs> well, it seems perfect given envy and yep. father-son conflicts of your
0: <laughs> <he> predictedness. <this. laughs> You're right. This is the perfect book for that. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to recommend it to him on this basis i was just recommending him fathers and children so this will be a good follow-up to that yeah mm-hmm. how, to, how to roast your children
1: yeah <laughs> in a way it's about fathers and children in a way um do we want to get into this let's, you want yeah, let's talk about it. start us with a summary cameron
0: yeah absolutely so this summary is going to be a little a little disorienting because this book is i feel like i maybe I, this is just the soviet literature we've been reading but so many soviet lit books are about early soviet lit are like the main character kind of wandering through the new new society. This feels like the basic plotline of *Cement* and uh, *Vasily Maligana. And <laughs> but but good and very interesting. Having a lot of thoughts. Well, along the way. Uh, so we we open the book with uh, our our main character Nikolai Kavaleirov, uh waking up and listening to the his what we might understand to this point kind of his housemate uh, andre babachev waking up who is just loud he's walking down the hallways he's singing to himself he's farting burping making all kinds of noises he's peeing singing to himself about his bowel movements while he's peeing uh which is what you love you do love to have in your housemates um <laughs> <laughs> um you know a is like trying to like hide under the covers and, and not exist, whereas Babachev is is just taking up all the space. The opposite Babachev's just embrace of life, uh Kavalev is is noting things like things don't like him, even down to even down to furniture. <laughs> his, his relationship to the to the inanimate objects around him is quite complicated. Um and this is in sharp contrast to to Babachev, who is like like we mentioned, got full of joie de vivre walking around. He's the director of the food industry. Uh food Food Industry Trust, uh, and he is, like, the ideal new Soviet man in a way that he is, like, always working, uh, running this department, trying to uh, bring about a uh, a new, uh, basically, a dining room in Chetver quarter, uh, which is going to replace, or hopefully will replace, the individual kitchen. So instead of having, uh, Babachev says this will be a great revolution for the women, who instead of having to spend half a day making, uh, you know, cabbage soup, can instead, everyone can come here and get their and get their food. Um, and he wants to see this complete industrialization of kitchens to make this easier. And he wants all this, all this, these materials. It's going to be great. Uh, and I don't remember if this is mentioned at this point or this is a little bit later. But one of the big things about this is is that the thirty-seven kopek sausage that he wants to bring. And it's going to be super nutritious and healthy. And it's only gonna be, it's got to be thirty-seven kopecks or, or thereabouts.
1: Don't give me thirty-eight Copec sausage, I will not buy it.
0: I won't stand for it. <laughs> uh yeah, Cavalero or Babichev uh, Babachev was trying to pioneer the the hot the Costco sausage or hot dog. Um and so he's Babachev always busy, always in the go, he's running about. And Kavalerov has is, is like kind of uncomfortable because it's not his home he's <laughs> just staying as you might understand this is babachev's home not kavalerov's um and so for most of the day kavalerov is kind of left to his own devices and in the evenings uh babachev has him kind of doing copying work or other like assorted administrative work kavalerov is like uh, well he listens to babachev in the evenings talk to himself he is just pissed off and he's always like on the verge of insulting him but never quite skit gets there although he has vivid fantasies about going off on him He's kind of like an, sort of like an errand boy for Babachev in a lot of ways, up um, to and including like when he when they're when they're trying to communicate the sausage. He gets sent out later in the book to go out and to take this very important thirty-seven kopeck sausage to to all the other members who it's important to bring in. Um, and, and you know, as he's sitting here in these evenings, Cavalera feels like Babachev is kind of a how do I say this? Not not erudite like Cavalera. He's he's like too. Soviet man. He's very focused in industry. Does not know that much about art. Uh, and and Kavalerov is like almost wants to like show off how how re- well read and how knowledgeable he is, but never quite managed to take himself to that to that degree. Um, and we find out at this point that Kavalerov uh, is living in Babichev's home because he got too drunk at a bar, tried to hit on a woman. Uh, and then everyone made fun of him for his approach. And then he decided to go off in the whole bar, which got him kicked out. And Babachev, in a moment of kindness, when he was going home from the office, found him, picked him up, and brought him back, and is kind of getting him back on his feet. In a lot of ways, Kavalar begins to think maybe he's kind of a replacement for a young man whose pictures are around uh, this, this apartment, uh, who we later find out is uh, Volodya Makarov, who is a young man who basically Babachev raised uh, from, from childhood. Childhood to adulthood, who's now gone off to be a, a first class football player. And while during this these meditations, at one point, a man shows up to yell at Babachev about uh, a machine called Ophelia, who we find out is uh, is is Babachev's brother, Ivan. Uh, Ivan Babachev is not a fond of Ivan and, and sends him away. You further learn more about Kavalerov's life. Previously, he was staying in the, the house of a woman named Anichka Prokopovich, um, and it was, wasn't going great. He didn't have a lot of money, he was just kind of making a buy. Um, and he his kavalerov is like we're getting worried about his age he's at the incredibly ancient age of 27 um and it's just all the time thinking about man i'm becoming more like my father you know i I knew not even just not physically looking like my father but just some feature some characteristic of like getting old as i've taken on uh and he doesn't doesn't love that. He thinks on all of his dreams when he was younger, you know, again because he's washed up in 27 uh, and and totally cannot do anything at this point in his life and and thinks back on how much he wanted to be someone of a figure of great renown when he was young and and recalls being at a wax museum and and imagines people remembering him not necessarily fondly, maybe... (laughs) Um, uh, remembering his great extremes of emotion. As we follow through, his, he's just kind of going about his days. At one point, he is just walking down the street, and happens to see Yvonne again, who calls up to a window, and, and a young girl um, we name we find out is Valia comes out to it, and they have an exchange. Yvonne runs off, and, and Kavalarov kind of starts to develop kind of an obsession with this girl. She's like 16. So, yeah, there's that. Um... <laughs> uh so at this point like i mentioned earlier we come, come around to the prototype salam or the prototype sausage which Babachev has been trying to to get this this if it's not 37 Copex, i'm gonna really look like a fool uh so I can actually is it 37 kopex or am i misremembering that i should have written that down
1: i think it might be 35 but it's okay okay yeah, at least so. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay 35 kopex all right oh there's egg in my face now <laughs> so <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> uh uh Kavalarov spends the whole day running around taking this 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 sausage to, you know, other party members, especially one who is like, you son of a bitch, Babichev, you did it. And it's so exciting that Babichev is like, no, bring the sausage back. We go, tonight, we're going to drink vodka at my place and eat the sausage. Uh, you know, and, and on his way back, uh, Kavalarov is like really considering throwing it into the river, but he can't bring himself to, uh, although he quite imagines it you know, in the next couple of days, uh, many, many things happen to, to Babachev. They go out to airfields and all the, you know, Babachev is just, he's being heralded for all the stuff he's doing, but Cavaleroff at the same time, despite being kind of his unofficial clerk, is having a hard time even just getting into events because he, he doesn't have an invitations. He's just there and he he's just convinced, but like, no, I'm definitely, I'm supposed to be here, guys. And uh, uh, um, he's pissed off about this and he decides that he's going to, He's going to cut his ties and he writes a letter to Babachev basically uh, um, saying that, you know, I'm, I'm done with you. You're stupid. Also, you're trying to uh, sleep with your niece. It's in essence, not exactly. A lot to say there. Uh, he he is about to leave when suddenly someone else enters. And this is, as we mentioned before, Volodya Makarov, who's now coming back to um, to see Babachev. And they have an argument. It's pretty obvious that Volodya sees Akavalarov as kind of like a hang on Kavalarov grabs his letter and runs out and is like (laughs) he flees and when he goes outside he realizes that he's not in fact taken his own letter but in fact he has taken Volodya's letter to Babachev about their relationship and coming back home and having to see him and then also dunking on dunking on Kavalarov and we also uh, we find out that uh, Volodya and Valya actually have uh, actually unlike uh, Kavalarov's imagined relationship with Ivan's daughter uh, Valya Valya and Volodya apparently do have an actual relationship, which is not exactly romantic, but seems to be trending that way in a sense. Um, they they plan to kiss for the first time once the the quarter the the, the uh, industrial kitchen that uh, Babachev is trying to open uh, is uh, finally is open to the public. Kavalerov returns to the apartment and finds Babachev there now, um, and, and before. Anything even happens, he just tells him to, to get out, essentially. Kavalerv goes off on Babachev and Volodya and <laughs> for all his troubles gets punched and forced to leave and thinks, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill Comrade Babachev. And uh, as he's gone through the, the reigning the ra- city at that point, Kavalarov is kind of lost and comes across a small man in a bowler hat who, as I probably should have mentioned, each time Yvonne shows up, it's noted that he's wearing a bowler hat, uh, not, not quite fitting for his age. And they kind of fall into a conversation. And he asks him, what is what is this Ophelia you mentioned when you were not exactly yelling at, at Babachev because uh, um, Kavalarov doesn't reveal that he was living with him. But he begins to uh, sort of... Uh, um, begins to chat with him. This is where we enter part two of the book, which is where we actually jump back, uh, jump more into focusing on the the Babichef brothers. Actually, there were three of them, but the eldest Roman joined a, a revolutionary organization and was executed for what he was doing with that that org. So uh, Andre is the youngest, Ivan's the middle, and he's always Ivan has always been a very a quite a dreamer. Their father, who was a, a you know a classicist and a, a school administrator of some sort. Uh, has always always got down on Yvonne for his dreams and and punished him for not knowing things like exact details about specific Roman battles, which are re- the really important things about life. His his whole childhood is basically him not quite being enough, uh, with the maybe possible exception of the time when he helped a student uh, get revenge on an aunt who prevented that student from seeing her niece by, as he says, making a violent a uh, 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 flower grow out of a wart in her face. So he's got quite a fantastical imagination. And he grows up and supposedly goes to the Petersburg Polytechnical Institute uh, and becomes, even though he has this uh, education, at least he says he does, mostly begins to take on a persona of essentially being kind of like a public speaker of a sort, bringing people together, bringing people who are not happy with what's going on together and preaching to them. Um, And he gets often thrown about for this and he becomes kind of a... Uh, not popular especially uh, you know babachev at this point who's now kind of rising is not super happy that this is what his brother's doing especially since a lot of it's speaking out against the new soviet soviet society um and Ivan grew, you know grows even more bitter and, and vows to destroy his brother with uh, you know with a great invention with uh ophelia which is what we've been mentioning this whole time i've been mentioning so far this continues for a while even even up to like uh, it gets to an extreme of Ivan, even at one point seeing Babachev driving down the street and he like jumped and pulls open the window and tries to jump in the car and is like, you know, I, you know, why am I walking around the city when you're, you know, in this, when you're, when you, when you get to drive around, drive me around. And Babachev is so tired that he actually has, he. I, I don't know if he has him arrested. Then I think he actually does. I think he has he has Ivan arrested a couple times, including at that point for and has him committed. And we kind of at this point are joining Kavalerov and Ivan talking, and Ivan tells a story from his youth when he was a quite a, as he says quite a loved youth, up until uh, uh, there was this uh, another girl around the same age when he was a schoolboy who was just as loved as he was, and he became so envious and resentful with her uh, uh, that on the night of a great event he. <laughs> beat the absolute shit out of her, tore up her dress, uh, pulled out her hair. Uh, and then, remarkably, somehow he got in trouble for that, um, which he expresses some uh, shock at, and was kicked out. And uh, he mentions that even though he was kind of dishonored by it, he always had the satisfaction of knowing that he had <laughs> ruined the party, and he'd, he was remembered. Not for a good thing, but he was being remembered. Um, and they talk about their, their mutual enemies and Cavalerov, Ivan does not know that Kavalerov wants to kill his brother Babachev, but, um, Ivan is like, go for it, do it, kill your enemy. We'll rise up together, essentially. Conversely, with Ivan and Kavalerov um, having their plotting, we go to, uh, on the other hand, Babachev at the same time is happy that Volodya is home and thinking about their new society and like what relationships will be in the future, kind of saying, do I look at Volodya as a son? or am i looking at him as kind of like the new person do i do i love him as a son or do i love him as what i want our society to become and, and thinks a lot about that and maybe we can talk more about that later uh, but <laughs> while they're having these thoughts about the new society cavalerov and ivan are just going all over the place ivan cavalerov has gone back to his old uh to his old uh, landlord who is now he's paying 30 rubles a month to basically sleep in a corner of her of her room not doing super hot Yvonne tries to take Cavaleroff to go see his machine Ophelia uh, but on their way uh, he's and he's describing to him like I, I wanted to build a perfect machine that can do anything and a sort of like a golem essentially uh, and then I corrupted it by giving it human emotions and human failings and that's this is will be my revenge upon the world and as they're walking they both get almost scared off from from the where they're going by a, a young boy whistling and <laughs> both feel as you might understand but great deal of shame after that as they're kind of standing here Cavaleroff suddenly realizes like oh uh, he's like mm, maybe this thing this machine isn't actually real now that i think about it um but yvonne is terrified of it and after they, after the whistling says like you know i'm like she hates me um you know she's gonna kill me this machine and at that point uh, yvonne tells Kavalerov a fictional tale where babachev again is giving a speech in front of his industrial kitchen in the quarter um and it's he's talking about the future where and yvonne shows up holding a pillow and denounces uh babachev and says that you're trying to destroy private lives and i won't let that happen uh you know they everyone should have the right to sleep on their own pillow and also i'm gonna smother my enemies with this pillow the power of of a symbol um and summons up a shadowy figure ophelia to crush down the quarter and like samson pushing down the old temple brings it down the heads of the people in there and uh andre who is dying after having the quarter fall on him asks uh, ivan's permission to lay his head on the pillow to die uh, at the same time, Kavalarov is like, I'm finally gonna do the soccer game tomorrow if Oloj is playing. I'm gonna kill I'm gonna kill uh, um Babachev. And he goes and he's watching he, he sees Valya there and Babachev is there, watching Babachev is like watching the field with with uh binoculars and it's going Going great. Essentially, um, long story short, Voloji does great. Valia is completely is focused on, and as, as well as Vapichar, focused on is playing. And both Ivan and Kavalerov are like their plans slowly fall apart. Ivan says this like this conspiracy that he wanted to put together to overthrow society of this modern one has fallen short and it's failed. Things aren't going. Basically, give up. Kavalerov goes back home and and just like returns to the corner of uh, his landlord's bed and. Uh, and uh, hits her, and then in in falls asleep, and in his dream uh, imagines like the, the Ophelia machine coming for him, and spends the next couple of days delirious. Uh, and in this deliriousness, kind of realizes how ex- like the extent of how like far he's kind of fallen. In the sense that he's like at a, he's at, a, at essentially at the Rubicon of do I keep being like who I am, or do I leave it behind and start to become someone else? Um, spends another night on the on the street drinking, uh, and then finally returns back to his landlord's apartment, where he finds um, where he finds a Ivan in in her bed, and says he's drinking wine. And he Kavalerov asks him, uh, what uh, you know? What does this mean? And and Ivan says, um, it means nothing. Um, you know, let's drink, Kavalerov. We talked a lot about this, and we forgot the main one, my friend. We forgot indifference, didn't we? In fact, I think that indifference is the best of all conditions of the human mind. Let's be indifferent, Um Let's drink to indifference. Uh, and then he tries to turn by saying, "Hey, uh, good news, Kavalerov. Today it's your turn to sleep with Anika, or, Anichka. Hurrah!" Which is where we end this very, this very, very interesting set of related character relationships.
2: You said it was going to be kind of disjointed, and maybe it was. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the novel is, is is so strange in that way, right? There's all these events happening and happening in sequence, and sometimes parallel, and at least yeah. one kind of loop where we go back uh, and see what actually happened with the arrest and everything. Yeah, it's just, you know, a string of small events and dreams and imagination, wanderings, imaginary wanderings, and and all sorts of things. I don't know. It's (laughs) such a uh, beautifully strange book to me still.
0: It's so weird. It's so interesting. I love... Um, I, I actually, so I actually read it after um, in in your book. Um, the first chapter focuses on your um, relationship to to James James, excuse me, I about to say James Cameron James Joyce, James Joyce, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. James <laughs> Joyce especially in kind of like the sort of relationship between his book Ulysses and uh, and Vienna. That, that that was really interesting because it kind of characterized a lot of how I was going through. Um, and I was wondering, actually, could you can you elaborate like a little, for so for anyone who may not have i've read your book talk through some of the main points of your first chapter and kind of the relationship of these two works
2: sure um well i'll, I'll skip the the summary of ulysses because that would take far too long <laughs> but, uh so we'll re- rely
1: ep- do another yeah. episode <laughs> we'll rely on your
2: your uh, summary of envy and just kind of hit on some of the similarities maybe i guess what i would say is that it, the this spark of inspiration, I suppose, for, for my book, looking at Russian literature's response to James Joyce or responses to James Joyce uh, was really envy. Um, I was rereading Ulysses in a seminar in grad school oh. on Joyce and Beckett and modernity. And it just struck me that there are these certain situations, certain character mm-hmm. traits, behaviors, actions uh, that reminded me a lot of envy. So for instance, Ulysses begins with this toilet scene one of the characters is kind of bathing and taking care of his body in that in a similar way and this is kind of chanting singing that he's doing um, very playful and very energetic in the same way Bobbachev is. And then later um, in the fourth episode of fourth chapter of Ulysses another character. Um, goes to the outhouse and does what one does in the outhouse. And so <laughs> this is obvious uh, connections uh, there, there were to me anyway. Um, and then from there, yeah, it's just looking into it, it you know, I re- realized that no one else had done this kind of systematic mm-hmm. long view sort of study of Russian literature's response to, to Joyce. Um, and specifically with Alyesha, what I learned in, you know, reading what he had said about Joyce and, and looking at these parallels and these kind of intertextual connections between the two works. I was struck by how Aliesha was engaging with similar ideas as Joyce about paternity, about relationships between fathers and specifically sons, but children, mm-hmm. generational differences um, in, in general, and kind of working through his own anxieties about growing older, about not being able to be the kind of artist and be the kind of individual that he wanted to be much like, Kavliyev in in his novel, and those are you know key themes in, in Ulysses as well. The, the, the biggest difference is, um, as I think is clear from your your summary of envy, uh, Alyash's novel ends quite pessimistically. There's there's a hurrah at the end, but it's very ironic <laughs> and in um, this I don't know really degraded situation state uh, for Kavliyev. Whereas I think Ulysses is is you know ultimately much more. Positive or optimistic, and the celebration of of life and the possibility of an artist. Um, in that case, Joyce's stand-in, um, Stephen Dedalus, kind of going on on his own way and, and making space for himself in the world.
1: So your first chapter is on Aleisha and envy, but then there are there's more chapters. So uh, can you talk about like why specifically? these authors is it just something that you saw while while reading are there other debates in the literary scene at, at this time or kind of continuing through this time that you saw that were particularly interesting i'm just kind of curious why these specific couple that you chose yep
2: yeah for sure i mean uh ulysses was first translated partly it was just bits of, of certain chapters certain episodes from ulysses to, to start in 1925 so a couple of years before um alias wrote envy um, and all sorts of debates started pretty much immediately people were reading and discussing him either in the the original he was still able to um or his books were still able to come to the soviet union at this time pretty easily more or less there were all sorts of debates in the late 20s and especially in the 30s as socialist realism uh, of which i know you you both are huge fans um <laughs> uh, the, the debates <laughs> about what art should be in the Soviet Union were happening and Joyce was kind of, I don't know a, a, a fulcrum a, a, a point, a, a key figure in these debates about whether we should whether Soviet artists should write and create art um, that's experimental or or not should it follow you know, what ultimately became the socialist realist uh, model. So all these debates were certainly happening at the time and other writers were responding to and incorporating Joyce into their own works in different ways and engaging with him in their art as well as Mm. with one another. Um, But the the other five main authors that I look at are Vladimir Nabokov, um, probably the most famous among the the five, Um, Andrei Bitov, Sasha Sokolov, and Mikhail Shishkin. Um, And one of the reasons I chose them is that I wanted to look at the, the full extent of Joyce's influence or Joyce's place in Russian literature. So going from the 1920s through the present day, essentially, to see what Joyce was in these various moments and not you know, provide a picture of a single Joyce, but of various Joices that these Russian writers were creating uh, for themselves and for, for Russian literature. And then along with that, I, I was interested not in a particular moment in... The Joyce in reception, but um, in the shifting influence and how these different circumstances—whether you know Nabokov as an emigre or post-Stalinist writers like and Sokolov, what they would pull from Joyce as opposed to um, someone else. You know, you can kind of compare them uh, between them as well.
0: Yeah, and that's actually kind of following on that trend of, of like how they they saw him over time. This is this is an interesting thing for uh, Alicia specifically. Uh, because as you mentioned, and in, in, I think also in your book, that it, at a later, it, oh, despite having, uh, you know, as as you noted by being a translator, Joyce, I, I think privately you mentioned, uh, publicly denounced Joyce at, at a later writer's conference, called them a formalist and took an example of, isn't it sad? From, I, I, this is from Ulysses as well, saying, it lo- a man who looks at cheese is sad because it pre- presents the end of milk. You know, that's, yeah. that's not the type <laughs> of writer that I would like. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's... he's uh, from from what I've seen, he, was, he admired Joyce and certainly respected him. And it could be ironic and sort of coy about this sort of stuff, certainly in the 30s. And uh, uh, maybe this is what you were alluding to. There, there was a Joycean, Russian Joycean scholar who, for some reason, suggested that Ilyesha may have even translated um, Ulysses, though he doesn't seem to have spoken English. So I don't know why why she would claim it. Uh But yeah, de- definitely was engaging in these debates. And then, yeah, the, this uh, meeting of Soviet writers... It, publicly and quite stridently denounced Joyce and takes this line about milk um, or cheese being dead milk uh, from Ulysses, kind of paraphrasing, misquoting him, but somehow, you know, acknowledging this, the kind of brilliance of Joyce's metaphors and Joyce's imagery, um, which is all Aliesha as well. There's all these images and, I don't know, dazzling metaphors and strange visions all throughout Envy. So yeah, I think he recognized himself and recognized his art in 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 joyce's (laughs) brand of of modernism as well Hmm.
0: going back to envy broadly i wanted to Mm -hmm. ask you because i definitely as i'm going through this a lot of at least when i was reading it a lot of the themes and maybe these are just the ones that pop up to me are like the of the themes of like I guess like sort of the problem of fathers and children in a like broad societal sense of the, of, of what was, what is, what will be, um, that kind of problem. And those are the things that went up, came out to me most prominently, but you mentioned that every time you come back to this, the new things jump out at you. And I was kind of wondering if like, what are the themes or features, um, ideas in the novel that stand out to you most as you, I guess, go through it now?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I, I mean, every time I read it, like you said, there's something that strikes me and uh, this is kind of diverging <laughs> maybe from, from you were noticing, but the, the sorts of things that I, you know, had in mind in my most recent read-through are just certain images or certain mm. image clusters that um, I'm curious about. There's, you know, all this flower imagery and milk going back to the and the connection there. There's um, this focus on liquids, um, it's these, these images that I'd be interested in, in going back to and kind of studying and tracing. And in particular, um, I, I'm, I can't recall, I don't, I don't think this came up in your summary, but Envy is divided into two parts. The first part is narrated in the first person from Cavaliere's point of view, and the second person all of a sudden, you know, without explanation, switches to a third-person narrator. Mm. Um, and there's some debate. I think, you know, the general cons- consensus is that it's Cavalier, it's Cavaliere's voice. He's, mm. It's, I don't know, very much uh, the same sort of bitter narration there <laughs> um, for the most part. Mm. But I'd be, in, you know, interested in, in looking at the language use in both sections and kind of comparing and um and seeing um whether these image clusters and um kinds of words and descriptions that head of uses in the, the first part actually follow through into the second one. Yeah, I don't know what you guys think about the the two narrators.
1: I took them to be the same personally. Maybe I didn't read close enough. Maybe there's support
0: for No, I
1: I, yeah, I think
2: that's else. a general consensus and I, I would, you know probably agree as well, but you know, why why does it shift?
0: good question
1: i thought it was just i don't know my, my opinion was it was just almost a further like estrangement mechanism i the, the whole book to me was just like i was like reading it and i was like okay i know what's going on but at the same time it, i don't know what's happening <laughs> um like is what's happening real is it a dream where you know where am i when this is um taking place it was yeah the camera summary was it was very good and it made sense as you were going through but while reading it has a very at least on me it had an Str- strange effect, to say the least. Yeah,
0: I, Well, at least part, in part because um, this is something that I think I'm glad I, re- I read your chapter first before I went into it. As, I, I didn't, you, as you note, there's like significant portions of the book which aren't real. They're, they're a sense of imagination of like something happening and that takes up like half a page and then a couple are off being like, this is what, you, you know, what should have happened or this is what I would have done if I had more time or if Babachev was, was imaginative right. like me when he ran into this <laughs> woman who were angry and this is what he should have done. Uh, which, yeah, it does get that sense of it, as you're like kind of jumping around even as you're kind of in the part two and is explaining things um jumping around like time frames and being like oh wait this is we're jumping but now we're back in the real like the flow of the story rather than just like r- r- reminded of the past so I, yeah it, it does have a deep sense of uh of if which if you're not paying attention you may not immediately notice but once you're like paying attention you, just, you see how much of this book is destroyed and, and <laughs> in really in a very interesting way yeah and, and imagined a lot of it i think also i
2: mean what you should- just pointed out this uh those moments where cavalier says oh i would have done it like this or i should have done this instead um i think it's very relatable in some ways Mm -hmm. like i I don't want to (laughs) admit that or i don't want to say that unlike cavalier there's a lot about him that's gross (laughs) and and inappropriate and like you said he he hit his landlord and and all this stuff but i don't know just on a very basic level when you put it that way right or or note those those sorts Mm -hmm. of moments that he wishes things could be different i think that's relatable and you know in a really strong strong way for me anyway yeah yeah no I,
0: yeah i did feel that one <laughs> yeah i did i so i, I so I, I know i mentioned earlier that one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me was this like idea of of sort of the, the to, to use the old phrase the fathers and children um because this, this is something that was really interesting to me is so we there's a point very early on where kavalerov is looking in the mirror and he starts to see his father and himself in, in himself and he says it's not like i look like my father and in fact i think he mentions that he really doesn't it, it's really more like a, there's a generic similarity between the two um and what he, what he takes that to mean is by comparing himself to his father uh what he says is that basically my life is done you know you're like if i actually if, did i have it yes um as if i i, I call a generic similarity as if i'd suddenly felt my father seed in me in my substantiation as if someone had said to me you're set finished that's all there is sire a son and then goes on to say go out talk about all the things that he's never going to be and i think that that's that's so interesting that that's the end it's not just like you're you're never going to be great um you're never going to be what you want to be it ends on have a son which is so interesting like recreate yourself i, I, I don't know in it if that means in an attempt to have your son be more than what you were or just to forever create this lineage of this is the natural endpoint of once you're done with your life, you have like a ge- you you pass on the world to the next generation. Uh, because like this stands in such stark contrast to, to Babachev, who you know fervently denies that Volodya is like a son to him, and he, and he says, like No, I, I love him because he is like the perfect new, you know, Soviet man in a sense, even though it's very obvious that by you know, in every way he treats him, even he kind of comes around to saying, Well, like maybe I do love him like a son, but that's actually okay because of, of how I look at things. Um, it, it, it's like this this sort of sense of recreation of the self of like this notion of fatherhood is ultimately even though it's trying like the notion of fatherhood is trying to be destroyed in in a, in a sense in babachev's like conception it also is so deeply built into it in the recreation of the self as something better in the next generation rather than the recreation of the self and like kolarrov's understanding being the dead end of one's own life i don't know that was it kind of stuck out to me and a lot of as a, as um i don't exactly know exactly what to, to maybe i've outlined basically all i had to say about it but
2: no, I I think that's central and and certainly in connection to to Joyce as well. Not to make everything about Joyce, but um, <laughs> it kind of is, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I I would agree with you with um, with the point that for Cavaliere that this idea of having a son means the end, right? That that's you've created something so big, right? You've created another life that there's there's no other possibility, um, and at that point this idea of passing on your genes and creating um someone else who has that potentiality and that possibility within them um that you once had and this is the marker for that coming to an end and that terrifies him or this this you know idea um and recognize his fa- recognizing his, his father and himself um Which again, I think is entirely relatable, right? We all turn into our parents. (laughs) It's kind of scary. Sorry, mom. Um, uh, (laughs) I think, um, yeah, it, 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 it's just marks Marx's turning point where he doesn't think he can create the kind of art that he wants to. Can't live out his life in any uh, by any other means, and that's critical to Joyce and in, in this idea that these Russian writers saw in Joyce that if you create lasting art, if you can create art like Hamlet or Ulysses or you know Envy, in fact, mm-hmm. um, that you'll be remembered for. You kind of birth yourself or birth um an, an idea of you that the world re- will remember you by but kavlyadov hasn't produced that and thinks that he won't anymore um, he'll just become a nobody just like his father um and what a bummer that is <laughs> it, <laughs> you know
0: it, it
2: creates this i don't know this dead end this standstill for him mm-hmm. by the end
0: yeah which is which is an interesting one because it's simultaneously like if it ended like a page earlier i guess you, it's like has this like really I don't know, cautiously optimistic of like, he says, you know, this is my choice essentially. Like, can I stop be something different? And it's like weirdly optimistic, but then immediately following that, when he returns home to find Yvonne in the bed, being like, nothing matters. All right. <laughs> You're trying to, your to use the bed tonight. Right. Right. Uh, which is like such a funny contrast. because it's, it's so close to being all, honestly actually optimistic before <laughs> it ends on this really, I, I almost call this like ambivalent note. Maybe not ambivalent. Maybe maybe it's a criticism of Yvonne and his like reject, maybe like a rejection of a society that is. You could read it that way too, but it doesn't really feel that way when you are going into it.
2: No, and that you know that's uh, a central point here, right? That initially the response to in the Soviet Union to envy was positive generally, right? It, it seemed to be a critique of these these losers, these failures who couldn't, you know, pick themselves up by their bootstraps and become part of the new system and and succeed um the Kavlierov and the uh, Ivan Babichev not the Andrei Babichevs but then you stop and think about it a little more and a few years go by and you think well you know are are the the new men the new women like Valya and Valodia and Andrei Babichev actually portrayed in a very positive light um yes and no um and by the end I I do think there's this kind of ambivalence here absolutely right um and the kind of I don't know, sad, <laughs> sad state of affairs here for, for everyone. And the question is, what do you, what, what do you do with that? Um, and I don't think Aliesha knew um, how to jettison those feelings or find some alternative and you know, more or less fell silent or wasn't able to, to produce the kind of art that he, he had with Envy after this.
1: Yeah, I was kind of wondering what you thought, what kind of broadly what you thought this work was for Alicia because it's so complicated like you're saying because it it, to me when every time I've I've read it it's not necessarily clear um there's multiple ways you can interpret the novel which is why I think it's fun Alicia from what I've read at least or from some of the speeches that I've read him giving um it seems like he wants to be a communist (laughs) um (laughs) but not like that kind of communist you know kind of is what i get from like all of his speeches like Uh, he wants like a communism with beauty so a communism with feelings almost um and it's very interesting kind of like you were saying how he doesn't quite fit into where it started uh to go where it's heading at at this point Um, this speech i'm referencing is the one that he gave to the first all union congress of soviet writers in 1934 and it's much different than a lot of the other speeches that were given in nineteen thirty four. Um, and so i'm I'm kind of wondering, again, broadly, I, your your best venture, what you think this is is this a statement on, you know, kind of like we're saying the that he's feeling that he feels constrained within where the system is heading? Is this statement on saying that creation is death? um is it an anti-creation sort of novel kind of what do you think it is yeah
2: yeah. uh like a what's the antinatalism and it can be multiple things opposed to babies here (laughs) 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 the world's first antinatal smoker (laughs) um (laughs) i I think in the moment right so it was written in 1927 in the moment (laughs) uh for my money or my perspective it is this this ambivalent un resolvable tangle of, of knots where Alyosha, who was you know a, a very serious or i don't know very committed um soccer fan and played soccer himself and appreciated the circus um this kind of physicality he recognizes and appreciates for instance that aspect of the new soviet the so-called new soviet person um embodied in, in volodya and balia who you know are doing somersaults and all these gymnastics in this this courtyard um in that one scene um as well i think the the kind of innovation and sort of brute energy that mm-hmm. andrei bapachev brings to to communism he, he respects the the ability to get things done basically mm-hmm. um i think he, he recognizes and, and appreciates those things um at the same time he loves individualist art he appreciates seeing things from a skewed perspective the you know the critical uh metaphor for him or perspective i guess is looking at the world through binoculars but from the wrong end right where everything Mm. is reduced and you see small points but fine detail Mm. where the world isn't just the, the communist united perspective i i think in 1927 that's what the novel is this attempt to kind of reason through it and rationalize his feelings um but it comes across and ultimately is really ambivalent. And then from there, going to this 1934 speech and beyond, um, he still has a lot of these feelings, but he's making these speeches where he says he's chosen not to be the beggar, chosen not to be um, the pauper, chosen not to Mm be um, the man that he had described before in this kind of individualist um, living out these new Soviet days. Um, and that he wants to write and create art about uh, the new Soviet youth, and that 's where these new energies are and where we should all be focused um, but a lot of that I think is you know uh, about survival, about you know wanting to fit in and um, seeing more and more where things were headed um, even in nineteen thirty four so to some extent yeah it's you know about covering his tracks, covering what he had done before. Um, and you can read, you know, his his memoirs um, in English. It's available as uh, No Day Without a Line. So he attempted to write every day at least a line. Um, and there, it, a lot of these same themes and ideas come up, but also this appreciation for um, all the various authors, many of whom, you know, wouldn't be championed in the Soviet Union. And, and this was, these were memoirs written throughout these years where he wasn't publishing as much and focus more on um screenwriting and uh reviews and translations kind of other kinds of art
1: yeah one of the the things that i think is uh, just interesting fact i guess that the this phrase engineers of the human soul that is often attributed to stalin is not really it comes from what i understand originally from alicia uh which is yeah to me is um I, I think oh, clearly I think he's he's mocking this concept I don't think he thinks you can engineer a human soul based on the fact that he then talks about how uh, the world is beautiful only because it has grass and dawns and colors um, and it kind of makes me think you know he's pointing obviously to the impossibility of engineering a human soul um, and to me the the novel itself is really just mm-hmm. a big inversion on kind of beauty as a whole that was kind of when I one of those kind of key points for my for my mm-hmm. takeaway um i was wondering kind of what you thought about the role of beauty very largely <laughs> as well um in in envy maybe if in joyce in in in, in general in general um, <laughs> what is beauty um, what is beauty? um <laughs> well
2: uh, as Dostoevsky wrote right beauty will save the world i think we can start there uh, <laughs> uh, um, no, I I I think you're absolutely right and um this novel is absolutely a, a celebration of of beauty of a strange perspectives of recognizing um the beautiful in the commonplace and the um the everyday. You now there is these various images one he's looking uh, a couple I believe is looking from from a bridge and sees a, a boat moving across the water and he compares it to a um an almond a sliced almond or something. He's just, you know, the, the swirl of the world and the reflection of Bobichev's button on his trousers, all these sorts of things that, you know, we take for granted. I, I think this is, you know, the, the a perfect novel uh, to explore and to study and, and to teach <laughs> uh, estrangement, defamiliarization, looking at things from a skewed perspective. Um, it's, it's brilliant for that. And, and for that reason, it's not Soviet art, right? It, these things aren't functional, right? The, the beauty of, the, the reflection of a button or the shape you know potentially the shape of a, a ship um, its beauty that's not gonna build the new Soviet world um, but Alyesha uh, Kavlietov they're they're champion championing this these perspectives and, and beauty and recognizing that in the world and seeing the inherent value of of that this um, creative perspective um, and I think in, in the same way yeah that's that's what Ulysses is, is all about, right? It's a day in the life of uh, two men in particular, but many other characters, uh, Molly Bloom, Leopold Bloom's wife, um, just going about their day, June 16th, 1904. Um, there's nothing particularly special about it in any massive historical sense or any um, anything like that. It's just another day in the, their lives. but the relationships, the things they see are elevated in not exactly in the same way as, as what Ovesha is doing in Envy, but um, but certainly in the, the play with language, the the focus, just the very fact that they're focusing on um, these little things or so-called little things, I, I think is crucial to the kind of literature and to the kind of perspective that, that these two writers had, <laughs> um, which I just find so beautiful let's say (laughs) so so lovely to uh to just appreciate those 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 small things and um and think about new ways of of describing them Mm -hmm. so they they do strike us as new instead of everyday and kind of rote.
0: you know there's a lot to cover in this book you know i think we're coming towards towards the end of of uh, the time we have but uh i do want to encourage for anyone and i don't know if you have any last things you want to touch touch on jose but i would hardly encourage everyone to to read this book because it's not super long i don't remember i know like the copy i have is like 178 pages but that also includes some other stuff so it's pretty quick read and there's also just like a lot that like there's so much stuff that i like notes i took that we didn't even have time to get to today off like not even touching the whole ophelia thing which is so fascinating um yeah, lot lot to get to. A lot of really interesting. So I highly encourage um anyone listening to pick it up and definitely give it. It's like an, an afternoon read. Um any anything else you wanted to any any last major thoughts you think would be really important for people to take away? Maybe we can
2: talk about Ophelia. I'd be curious to hear what you think since since you've were- you, you yeah. brought it up.
0: Yeah. Well. Okay. So, Ophelia is fascinating to me because it really evoked. And i, I, I there's no way. And I probably this wasn't related to it, but whenever we talk about like automatons, like so, Ophelia is supposed to be as um um as Yvonne describes the machine. um You know, my machine have made could have made this era happy. It, it could do anything you wanted it to do essentially, um and it kind of like has this. I think of the Golem a lot because I, th- I feel like the Golem, and it, at least in uh, from an American perspective, like is like, a, is like a very formative, like our character archetype for so many things, and that's what it can, seems to bring to mind for me. Uh, but the, the like the major difference here is like in traditional literature, the Golem is made um, at least prior to like you know Frankenstein depictions of the Golem, where that begins to take on like a horrifying life of its own. You see like the Golem really being a very kind of almost human character like that's what really makes the goal the golem so powerful um but here we have the reverse where this machine was totally emotionless it would have been fine uh and then yvonne says that he curses this machine by giving it human emotions um she can do anything but right now she sings our ballads the foolish ballads of the old era and gathers the old era's flowers she falls in love gets jealous cries dreams I did this, I mocked the divinity of these coming men. I mocked the machine, and I gave her the name of a girl who went out of her mind from love and despair, Ophelia, the most human and touching name of all. I thought that was so interesting that obviously i think underlying is Yvonne thinks that's a good thing to have those characteristics, but uh like to to say this this the Soviet machine is totally thrown is like brought to nothing by the by the characteristic of of average human emotion uh is obviously Yvonne is not set up to be like a character's right about a lot, but it does feel like a a startlingly genuine kind of attempt like, uh, attempt to throw a wrench at like the engineering of like the, the engineering of society of like trying to create everything, which is nice and neat and industrial. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. would you say of the engineering of the human soul? (laughs) I was trying to avoid saying that.
0: I realized I was going there halfway through that sentence. Uh, (laughs) I think it was in all our
2: heads there. Yeah. 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 (laughs) yeah i mean the an, another thing maybe to note here is that alias's uh, father really wanted him to be an engineer um uh that, that was you know the path he set him mm-hmm. on and he has this uh, series of stories mm-hmm. um he, he he's a remarkable short story writer too um i'd, I'd recommend checking those out as well they're in, in a collection in english um that's available so i think that, that that's another factor to consider you know going back to matt's point earlier and into and, and this one um about Ophelia itself so there's an engineering theme this idea of creating a machine in for Liesche who who didn't want that right he he didn't want mm-hmm. to be an engineer he wanted to create things with his mind with his heart, with his pen rather than, than his hands or whatever it encompasses whatever engineers use i don't know um <laughs> i'm not building stuff um um uh again, this, this this tension there that, that speaks to this, this phrase of this concept of engineers of the human soul. Um that's mm. very sinister. And I, I think e- mm. even beyond the fact that Stalin adopted it mm. and took it, um, <laughs> the idea of engineering uh human souls is is to me terrifying, right? This mm-hmm. this idea that you can craft people for purposes which again maybe it's not that Irrelevant these days. Mm. I think there's mm-hmm. new forms of engineering of human souls going on, data-driven, et um mm. uh I don't, I don't know. I lost my train of thought here, but <laughs> with, <Totally> there, fair. <laughs> with Ophelia, um, again, there's there's a kind of passion and respect for for this creation, but cursing it and, and recognizing also the the power of human emotions, uh, like you were saying, Cameron. I think is is is, is at play here. Um, giving it that name ophelia right this tragic figure from from hamlet from shakespeare Mm -hmm. who's given you know a a kind of madness that breaks Mm -hmm. down what this machine is supposed to do just so many layers to it literary and biographical um Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah it's interesting that it um ophelia is like is in the novel represented as basically an agent of destruction of destroying the the quarter of uh coming to to you know get kevalera off of wanting to quote-unquote wanting wanting to kill you know Yvonne hating him uh which is such an interesting like the the which entirely comes from the spring from like giving it you know a human human sense of like this the sense of humanity is also a destructive force in, in a sense of in <laughs> its presence which is interesting I mean again going back to like Hamlet and Ophelia like their her character arc is self-destruction over something that's over well that, I'm not gonna get into an analysis of Hamlet right now because it's been too many years since <laughs> I've actually read Hamlet but <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's like an it's an interesting place of, of simultaneously feeling like this, like in all ways, it's is meant genuinely of like, almost like a critique of like, in, in like, like you say, engineering of the human soul, while also this, this sort of humanity being fundamentally kind of a destructive force in the novel itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it brings to a lot of questions, just the anxieties that it has as a novel, it has like... It reminds me of this conversation a little bit of We by Zamyatin, Mm -hmm. kind of as it's maybe responding a little bit to this, and also then the influence of Joyce, Shakespeare, this is all acting on this question of what is distinctly Soviet Mm -hmm. uh, versus what is maybe more universal. Mm -hmm. And so these are really kind of interesting questions, and part of why I think I'll probably be rereading this again in the future. (laughs) I, I think the,
2: the way you framed it there, that the anxieties is, is perfect, mm. right? I hadn't necessarily mm-hmm. thought about it in, in that term anyway. Just... I
1: don't want to say anxieties of influence because that's not my term, but... No, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Perhaps>. <laughs> right. but it,
2: you know, sort of reducing it, or in a, I mean that in a positive way, reducing it to this kind of bundle of anxieties. It's a very anxious novel in every regard. and It is. You know, or <laughs> yeah. you know, only 150-whatever pages. Um uh, it's deeply uncomfortable for for yeah. itself and, and for the reader. But you should read it. <laughs> you should read it. Not yeah. that you should not. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you have anxiety? Maybe you should read this book. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. This will make it worse.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, isn't that kind of Russian literature as a whole? Well, good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I mean, we read some happy books.
1: I don't think we did.
0: Vasilisa Maligina is kind of happy. I don't think it is. <laughs>
1: it
0: ends on a happier note um <laughs> actually interesting i think like i feel like colin Ty's work is the only one which is like kind of at the end fun like unambiguous and where it stands because like a lot of the other a lot of other works are like we uh cement uh, uh, uh envy a lot of other works from this era kind of like do at least in, when i'm looking at it has the sense of like ambivalence towards it whereas fossilis or like colin tye's is like yeah i mean the people are shitty but the system's great i mean that this is what we got to be the ones building it which is i don't, no, no, kind of funny to me
1: yeah, the twenties be like that. Really, twenties <laughs> had <laughs> the best period of Soviet literature, I think. It's I pretty I,
2: good. Yeah, you get you know in, in the thirties you get more with the oh, you, Harms, and Gdiansky and so on. Yeah. I, I mean it depends on what you what you mean by Soviet here, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I don't discount the thirties. Let's shove them short. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Jose, you have a couple of other really interesting projects that you were kind of, well, you have a lot of projects that you're working on, but you have a couple that you're going to talk about. And I wanted to hear kind of some of the other stuff that you're working on, maybe some of the things that you have done that maybe some of our listeners may be interested in exploring more. Because like I said, you've done a lot of really interesting stuff. So please.
2: Plug away. Okay. Plug away. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, I can just mention the next big project that I'm working on is uh, really shifting gears from from Joyce and Russian literature too. Uh, contemporary Russian prison literature. So looking essentially at the last 30 years of uh, prison writing, not only memoirs and the kind of Solzhenitsyn, Dostoevsky style um, prison writing, but um, fictional works, historical novels that look back at the Soviet, in, in Soviet era, for instance, um, as well as poetry, other things, just basically what the concept of incarceration has done and has become in Russian literature in these last few decades um, what, it, what it means today um, so that's in the works along with the project on Chernobyl um, I, became with, I became fascinated with Chernobyl a few years ago uh, before the HBO series I have to always mention um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I taught a course on Chernobyl the HBO series helped certainly with <laughs> enrollments there um, but I'm particularly fascinated with uh, representations of and responses mm-hmm. to to chernobyl um transnational inter, international mm-hmm. trans generic etc you know uh how it's been represented in different media um and why so i'm working on that mm-hmm. um one thing that i have i think coming out mm-hmm. this year apparently despite the what I, I was told there was a shortage of copy editors i don't know if you've heard about this it's very tragic uh <laughs> uh, situation, but there's a shortage of copy editors right now, along with many other things. Uh, but it seems like uh, a book I am co editing or have co edited, I guess, with a colleague, a friend, uh, Sarah Karpuchin, on the new approaches to, to Nabokov um, will be coming out this year. Um, it's called Reimagining Nabokov Pedagogies for the 21st Century uh, through Amherst College Press. Um, I would also make a pitch or a plug for uh amherst college press which i think is an amazing press and they have a great model it's open access uh native digital digital native whatever the term is so it's available right away online um just really humane and uh Mm -hmm. progressive model i think um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think both, both for readers and for.
1: Are you sure that's better than the model where everybody has to pay $150 <laughs> per book and then the author gets three cents? Are yeah. you sure that's worth it Wow. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I might reconsider. You're right. Um, I know what I put it like that. Yeah, know. yeah. The hard sell. Um, yeah, so
2: it, hopefully that'll be out later this year, at least the, the, the physical, or sorry, the, the digital version. Um, and finally, I'll just mention, um, and this is something anyone can participate in if they're so in, so I don't know intrigued, so motivated. I'm co-producing, I suppose, with another colleague, Martina Napolitano, um, a digital edition of Sasha Sokolov's second novel, Between Dog and Wolf, Myoshu собаки и I don't know how familiar with that novel you two are, but it's it's been called the the, the Russian Finnegans Wake, which is not. Fair, it's not accurate, but it, it's a bizarre, very strange, very complicated <laughs> novel that deserves, you know, full annotation. So we got the permissions. It's all online. That's really cool. We're working on it right Thanks. now, adding to it. If anyone wants to, you know, be a contributor, we're um, open to that. It's but both the original Russian and the English translation was finally translated a few years ago. Uh, it's more work than I anticipated. I will say. Sure, <laughs> but, sure. But we're we're very excited about it and. Uh, eager, you know, to share with people eventually.
1: Yeah. Sure.
0: For anything, for any, for any of the stuff that has links already online, there will be links to all this in the show notes. Yep. And I'm, I'm so excited for the uh, the literature of incarceration because I'm actually trying to do a, some research in, in tangential areas. So I'm super excited for that coming cool. out because that sounds really awesome. I want to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: <laughs> I think we're, well, I think we're about as wrapped up as we can be in our hour-ish long, hour 10 minute show format. But thank you again for coming on. We had a great Great time. Good discussion. Be happy to have you back when any of the books are out, for sure. <laughs> yes. And
0: before we go, though, we do have to ask, because um, as, both Jose and Matt have had to watch me, like, grossly drink a lot of beers this whole time. Uh, on a scale of one to Yeltsin, where where are you both?
2: It's <laughs> quite a range. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would I would probably say just, like, a five, something. A five. Something nice. Reasonable. I don't mean, just, know. There's still nighttime left. Yeah. How about you, Matt?
1: <laughs> I'm a, I'm I'm around you at four or five because I only had one cup and I foolishly forgot to bring my supplies uh, <laughs> with me. But <laughs> how did you? How did you fare, Cameron?
0: Um. I'm like the three beers in, so I'm probably only a four to five. However, I am feeling a lot warmer after that. I was kind of hoping they cool me down. I don't know why. I'm not, uh, I,
1: has that ever happened?
0: I shouldn't be this stupid at this point in my life, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was nice. Nice. Might as well the beers were cold I, I had them up here so i don't to leave my desk so they're a little warm now so it's not quite as refreshing but anyway yeah definitely around the same as, as where the two of you are i had, i was like i had to keep my back in my head like this is one of the ones where i have to be a little bit more sober to talk about it there's some some <laughs> novels i'm not gonna point which ones are you can definitely be pretty drunk and still talk about them this one requires some nuance of mind <laughs> very fair very responsible yeah. um yeah thank you for for being here thank you so
2: much this is a, a, a was. pleasure
0: And as much as we hate to leave behind this topic, Matt, we've got to go to something uh far sadder. So why don't we introduce what we're going to be starting, not just, uh you know, not just the episode next week, but a whole new series Not next week, next on our next episode. What are we getting into next time, Matt?
1: That's right. It is all downhill from here in terms of being depressed. Next episode, we're going to be starting our 10 parter on Vasily Grossman Stalingrad. So I guess join us. It'd be good. It was a fun episode to record, because this is Matt from the future, just to let you know. We already recorded <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> it. It It is... It's weird, because it's Stalingrad, as you might imagine, being about the siege of Stalingrad. Intensely sad book, but also, Grossman is such a wonderful writer, and the Chancellors did such a good job with their translation that it's mesmerizing, but also heartbreaking at the same time. It is. So, it's a real mix of emotions.
1: It is, but it's going to be a good series, and... We're going to be going back to three times a month now that we've hit our patron goal, which is pretty incredible. So you won't have to sit through eight months of Stalingrad. (laughs) So that's good. It's good timing. I'm
0: I'm, I'm glad that we we didn't intend it to be this way, but I like that we had Stalingrad as a threat hanging over uh, the goal for getting an editor. Completely unintentional, but...
1: Was it? Was it?
0: Maybe it wasn't. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, speaking of patrons, we got a hmm. we got a whole bunch of you supporting us, which is just so nice, so nice. We got uh, we got Jeff, Madeline, and Janice, Daniel, Darren, Daniel, Jack, Paige, Jesse, Lou, Larkin, Irini, Brandon, Allison, Cole, Elise, mysterious donor dude, Joanne, Yitza, Alex, Stephanie, Julie, Eli, Caitlin, Brett, Isaac, Austin, Zachary, Pack Rob, and Maya. That's right, we got a we got a nice thick number of patrons now it's good stuff (laughs) because podcasting isn't free and grad school doesn't pay very well and we wanted to get an editor because it's so much work editing the podcast but it is so much fun so we're so happy to be able to go back to well not go back to to start doing it three times a month maybe just maybe one day we go back to weekly but um it's gonna be it's gonna be a hoof you know we'll see Anyways, my pitch to you is if you're interested in joining with our current patrons to help keep the show running, take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash tipsytolstoy.
0: The music he used in this episode was Soviet March by Toasted Tomatoes. You can find more of their stuff on toastedtomatoes.bandcamp.com and also on YouTube under the same username. If you're looking for other places to find us, you can also follow us on Instagram at tipsytolstoypodcast or join our email list on our website, tipsytolstoy.com.
1: You'll hear from us again soon.